So, welcome to the first episode of the Bootstrap Experience podcast, where Jack and I will be talking about our lives bootstrapping SaaS businesses online. We've both been in the Shopify app space in the past, but I think we'll be talking more generally about running businesses online. Obviously, some stuff will be on Shopify, but we're both building apps, which is relevant whether you're on Shopify or not. We've both gotten into this on a bootstrap path where we're really trying to see what we can build on our own, working by ourselves for many years and, and just starting to grow that now. But I think, yeah, this is going to be very much a coffee hour for us to catch up uh, every week and uh, talk about what we're thinking about, what we're working on, what's working, what's not working, good ideas, bad ideas, and as well some stuff that comes up, news-related stuff within our world. But Jack, maybe you want to just uh, introduce yourself and then I'll do the same afterwards. Sure. Yeah. My name is Jack. I run Need A-B Testing, which is a conversion rate optimization app for Shopify. I've been doing that for about three and a half years, two and a half years full-time, just working on growing and improving that. Also, I'm working on starting a new project called Translate CI, so I'm sure I'll be talking a bunch about that. And this is a translation platform for... Uh, SaaS businesses. Yeah, cool. And I guess I should introduce myself as well. My name is Bjorn Forsberg. I've been building apps for Shopify since 2011, 2012. I launched the first one. I'm uh, Australian and Swedish. My mom's Australian, my dad's Swedish, and I currently live in uh, Denmark, just uh, outside of Copenhagen. Before I started building apps, I was working for an investment bank here in uh, Denmark. I started out in customer services and then moved into more project-related stuff where I was doing business analysis and product product management in the end. But that wasn't really doing it for me. I didn't want to be in the rat race and I just read the four-hour work week. So I decided to start a little side business and which happened to be Shopify apps. And about three years after I started, I was able to quit my job and, and uh, do it full-time. And I've been doing that since about 2015. I have four apps uh, on the Shopify platform, hosted on Heroku. Yeah, and it's been a great journey. I think this year, and the reason also for doing a podcast, it's been a, a tougher year. It's been a strange year uh, for everyone, I think. And I think this year I've realized that I've been doing everything on my own for many years, and I need to expand my horizons, meet new people like Jack, where we can get out of our comfort zones and, and meet different people now that we're working a lot more from home and things like that. It's also changed how, how I look at my business, where I actually want to hire people now instead of just being a company of one like i've been for many years now i'm looking at expanding my company and we'll uh, talk about that journey as we go here as well um, but it's, yeah it's been a strange year it's been a great year too i crossed a hundred thousand us in monthly revenue just last month i managed to change that to one hundred twenty thousand us per month which is mind-blowing from something that started out as a little side project a few years ago but yeah so i think with that introduction we'll get into what we've been up to, for example, myself, I've been working this week on hiring or not hiring, but getting a new hire set up to help with development. And that's been a, a great experience because I've been working on my own for a long time. It's also been a scary experience because I'm letting somebody else into my thoughts, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'm used to doing things one way and I now need to work with somebody else. But yeah, uh, Jack, I know you've also uh, recently been through some hiring, hiring and firing, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I work with, worked with two people, so I hired a support engineer for Need A-B Testing about a year ago. That's been wonderful. He's awesome. 
And recently, for the first time, I tried to hire a uh, developer to help me with Translate CI. So I just need some help getting it over the finish line to get to a releasable product. Yeah, I found a guy. He seemed very good. Excellent programmer, which was awesome. And we got along well. The unfortunate issue was he kept disappearing. So we'd work together for a few days, things would go great, and then I wouldn't hear from him for a week. Then he'd come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, blah, 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 we'll get this going. And then after the third time, unfortunately, I decided to just end things just because I wasn't getting the hours put in that I needed to and trying to get used to working with someone and then having them disappear constantly was like a, it was a real trial. Then we'd start to hit this groove where things were, were going well, we were working great together, and then I just wouldn't hear from them. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately that didn't quite work out, but I think I'm going to just hang out the rest of the year on my own, kind of see what I can finish and then evaluate again in January, see if I want to find someone else. Okay. Yeah. And I guess no matter how good somebody is, it, it's tough if, if you can't rely on them, especially when you're just two people and you're trying to get work done and get into a groove, like you say, right? Yeah, it's a shame. It was funny, like the, the first time, the first two times it happened, I was kind of like, all right, I like this guy so much. I like his work. I'm just going to ignore this. And then yeah. it just, you know, <laughs> it, got, it got too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's totally. I, I, you give them a few chances and then there has to be that, right? Yeah. And I think that's like the scary part about hiring someone in general. And one of them is just like uh, the thought of, oh God, you might have to fire this person at some point is an awful thing. I think that's why it's so important to take such like good care when you're hiring, just because I don't know, for me, at least as a kind of an introverted developer, like the thought of letting someone go just sucks. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I have the same feeling. I'm an introvert as well where I can have short bursts of extrovert sort of style behavior, I guess. But yeah, that was one of the reasons I really liked uh, moving on to working on my own stuff. When I worked for the investment bank, I had a, a team I was managing as well. And that was the part I just didn't enjoy. I'd, I'd luckily, I only had to fire one person in the time I was there, but it was horrible. You want to see the, uh, give everyone a chance and give them an exit chance and stuff like that. But if, if it just keeps on happening, you got to, you know, do it. Right. Yeah. This was my first time firing anyone, but he was... Obviously, I think at this point, pretty understanding. He knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, luckily, my experience has been completely different so far. I put out on Twitter a few, a few, I guess about a month ago now, that I was sort of thinking about uh, starting up a team and, and not being a company of one anymore. And quite a few people reached out on their DMs to see, hey, what type of developer are you looking for? Or what skill set um, do you need? And uh, one guy reached out and had the exact skill set that I wanted and we chatted really well over Twitter and he was you know, smart enough to send some links to, to things that he'd been working on and his LinkedIn and so forth. So we set up a, a call a week later, I guess it was, to have a chat to see how the communication was and just to make sure that we're on the same page and everything like that. And then in the meantime, while I was waiting uh, for our call, he sent over like a 15 minute recording of, of his development flow or like his thinking behind an app. He's also got a Shopify app, but looking at walking through the code and explaining his choices and the way he likes to structure things. And he'd made it just for me, spent 15, 20 minutes uh, making this video. And I think that just showed the type of person it was. And that it was a, definitely a good, a nice bonus to see. Because then not only did we chat well together, but I could actually see that he's a much better programmer than I am. And, and I could learn a lot from this guy. And he had tests as a, a key part of his workflow, I guess you could say, which has never been a key part of my workflow, I'm ashamed to say. But yeah, so I, it was nice. It, I could see that 
hey, I could learn from this guy and, and he knows. And luckily he was using the exact same technologies that, that I am and some of the newer ones that I want to use as well. I build everything in Ruby on Rails and there's some new sort of JavaScript, mini JavaScript utilities or frameworks in the world there uh, called Stimulus. And he had some experience with that, which was really cool. But then, yeah, so we just had a call and we, we chatted really well. And, and I think we had a good sort of communication, which I think is super important when you're going to hire someone, almost more important than the skill set sometimes. But yeah, so we he was just uh, finishing a job and could start at the start of December. And he's been looking through the code base and I've set up Basecamp now so we can organize things a bit better. And he's going in that and, and getting a hold of all these concepts. We're building a what I call an app kit at the moment. I can get into that a bit more, but so far it's going really well and I'm super happy. It's hard though, because like we were saying, we work on our own for a long time. Getting back into the habit of explaining my thoughts and not just doing my thoughts, it's a different way to work. Yeah, that actually really helped me though, like writing tickets for the first time in years, realizing my development goes so much faster when I've actually thought about this stuff in advance, like planned it all out in advance. It's funny because now that I, I'm not working with this guy, I've been going through the ticket backlog and it's so nice to like have thought of this stuff in advance rather than trying to do it on the fly while I'm coding. I might just keep writing tickets. Yeah, that's funny. I, I feel the same. Yeah, usually most of the stuff is in my head while I'm building it. And then there's always something you've got to go back and think, hey, why didn't I include this already? And putting it down into a ticket definitely helps. Oh, hang on. I need this as well. And I need this one. I, yeah, I've really been enjoying it as well. So I, I want to ask you, you mentioned this guy has his own Shopify app. How important do you think it is that someone working for a business like ours has active side projects? Was that a big deal for you in hiring? No, I, because not really. I think people should be allowed to leave work at work if that's what they want to. You don't have to have a side project, in my opinion. I like the fact that he had experience with Shopify more and the fact that maybe I can help him in some way with his business. We worked out that it'd be like 25 hours a week, so it leaves enough time for him also to work on his own stuff. Yeah, I think that was more important for me. I don't really mind if people don't have side projects. Maybe they love running or something else instead. And I think that's fine. I, it didn't really affect my decision from that point of view anyway. Do you see those types of things important or? Um, I mean, I get what you mean, because for a long time I didn't do any kind of side projects. Like I developed eight hours a day for a company and I really didn't want to look at a computer when I got home. So yeah. I get that yeah. for sure. But I was just thinking like my, the guy that does support for me, he's like a, he's like a hustler. He's got 10 different businesses. He's doing a million things. And I actually thought that was really cool. And maybe it, it might've influenced me when hiring him like that made him yeah. stick out to me. So, but is that may, maybe more the entrepreneurial spirit that you're seeing and, and, and liking in a sense? Yeah, I think that, 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 for sure. Probably a good way to explain it for, for myself anyway. I could see somebody that's has ideas and, and wants to do something outside of the, the normal, I guess you could say the normal nine to five. Right. I see that as a positive thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah. So what have you been working on this week? Uh, you were getting pretty close to your new app. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Big thing yesterday. I finally put up a basic landing page for Translate CI. It's translateci.com. And yeah, that's been interesting. I, I got to work with a few tools I haven't worked with. So one mistake I made with need A-B testing was the marketing site and the app are on the same server, the same code base. And that has been very inconvenient at times. So I decided this time, 
starting fresh, I'm going to separate them out. Um, so I built it with uh, Jigsaw and hosted it, which is a static site generator based on Laravel. Okay. What I coded, yeah, and hosting it on Net Netlify, which is awesome. It was the first time using them, and they're really good. Okay, I haven't used them yet. Uh, I use Shopify for my uh, marketing website, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. kind of bending something to do something it's not built to do, but it's actually working out pretty well. But what were the drawbacks of having your website tied on the app, do you think? You know, so NeedAB testing is a pretty resource-intensive app. It processes like about 100 million requests a month. And there were times when I was growing, it's been solid for about a year now, but there were times when it was growing uh, leaps and bounds with the customer base where it would start having performance issues. And when that happened, the marketing site could go down. And that was uh, yeah. a huge pain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that being not good. Yeah. When it grew to that point, it got really crazy to posts and I'm not like much of a server guy. So I had to learn a lot on the fly to be able to handle that. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to dig into that at some point as well. I think that'd be good fun. It was, you've gone a lot serverless now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on AWS using Laravel Vapor and that's been awesome. Just okay. rock solid. I haven't touched my servers in like six months, which is great. Ah, nice. Yeah. Especially with BFCM and, and uh, the holiday season. I have everything on Heroku and I've had to spin up, you know, extra, extra server capacity just to have it there in case, which is, I really like the idea of serverless where it automatically has the right size. You're not wasting money in quiet times just in case. Yeah, for sure. It does, it does have like auto scaling capabilities, but I've started going up into the larger sort of server sizes. So you don't want it spinning up too many of those automatically. It gets pretty expensive quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And AWS is definitely more expensive. I think my hosting bill slightly more than doubled, but not going down and not having these issues is totally been worth it. Yeah. Okay. Ah, I thought it would have been cheaper actually, but I guess it shows my, I guess it depends on the use case as well. Yeah. I honestly, I probably, I was on DigitalOcean before and I probably wasn't spending enough money there. That was probably part of my scaling issues. That's if right. I'd set it, yeah. If I'd set it up to be as resilient as my setup is now, it'd be the same price or more. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I guess when you're paying per box that you throw up, you hold it, hold back on starting new servers. If you yeah, can. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you're paying exactly what you should be paying to keep the quality yeah. going. Yeah, which is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've been looking at DigitalOcean as well. Like I've always been a Heroku and just found that they've stagnated in the way that they, or like the machines haven't changed in a long time. You pay a lot of money for a 500 megabyte server. I've moved on to the, the large ones now, but it's, yeah. And now DigitalOcean just came out with a, a new sort of platform, which makes it much more Heroku, but with much more reasonable pricing. So looking at that, um, currently working on AppKit, which is a, a new project together with Arjun, his name is new developer mm -hmm. and yeah i should maybe explain what it is but it, it it's a cool it's like a, it's an application containing all the common parts of my apps i've got four apps now and all four of those apps have certain features in common sign up payments there's things like uh, welcome flows referral uh, system that i have in place there's a lot of different parts to it. And I want to make a sort of unified UI library as well for all of my apps. And the idea with AppKit is that it's, in Rails speak, it's called an engine, but it's basically something that you can bolt onto your application that gives it more functionality. So 
the idea being is that I have AppKit that contains all the shared common stuff. So I only have to maintain one place instead of maintaining something similar in four four different apps. And yeah, so we, we've been building out the both the ideas and what it should contain and things like that, but also looking at what what components do we need as far as UI goes. We want to do based on Shopify's Polaris, but we don't want to use React. <laughs> I want to just use the server-side rendered Rails stack, I guess you could say, with some JavaScript sprinkles, as they'd also say. But yeah, I think AppKit, it's come out of a, a necessity more than something I wanted to spend a lot of time on. But just maintaining four apps after and having a lot of customers now just takes more and more time. And it's really hard to create new things. And I want to create more apps, but I really can't do that. If I if Shopify make a change, I've got to go four places and change something if it affects all four apps. Whereas once AppKit's done, we can change it in one place and it'll automatically update in all the apps in the same way. As long as it's part of the, the sort of shared feature set, I guess you could say. So it's a lot of investment. I think it's going to take us months to get to where we want, but it'll it'll be one of these projects that's never quite finished because it'll evolve as the apps evolve. But it's a lot of fun to work on something like that because I can just see the utility of it and we'll use it for new projects going forward to begin with. And then eventually we'll migrate all the existing apps on it. But it's also nice when you have somebody else, somebody new coming into to the company that you can give them a new project to work on. You're not throwing them into the deep end on in an app, something in production. So you're saying, hey, here's a, a blank slate. We have some ideas we could talk about, but what are your ideas towards this? How can we do this as well? That's been a lot of fun, just uh, sketching out the ideas and chatting and, and having somebody else's input on smart ways to do it. That's cool, yeah. That was one of the reasons I've never hired a developer for need A-B testing. It's just, I feel like teaching that code base to someone new, like it would take so long to get up and running. So I love the idea of starting a new project. And, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's, cool. that's, that's one thing that's kept me from spinning up new apps sometimes is just that so much of the Shopify specific code is tied into the need A-B testing code and having to tear that out or write a new boilerplate or whatever is, it's been such a mountain to climb that I haven't done it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I've become a bit of a developer as I've built my different apps as well. Like the first one was actually built by another company. And then I learned to code while maintaining that one myself. Uh, and then we, I built the next app myself. And of course, you can see the progression in my experience as, as you go through them as well. So letting somebody into some of those older apps is like, oh, do I really want to show this off? Um, <laughs> yeah. But also it would have been great to think about all this boilerplate code up front. If I'd been a better developer to begin with, I maybe would have done this from the start. But that's the clarity of hindsight, I guess you could say, where would have, should have, could have, maybe. But So you're more yeah. than interested really in expanding on Shopify more so than maybe looking at other e-commerce platforms or existing apps or anything like that. I'm just curious, like what went into that decision? Yeah, I think it's always been, when I first started making apps for Shopify, that was definitely my thought behind it. I need to expand this out to the different e-commerce platforms that, that are there. But as I started seeing other people do it, generally what I'd see or hear is that Shopify was still like accounting for 80% of uh, yeah. the revenue for them. And maybe that's different now. This is a long time probably, ago. I think it's probably more in favor of Shopify now. Yeah, I'd almost still guess it. And I, I'm just thinking, is it worth putting the complexity in, into my app to support these other platforms? And I think also the apps that I have launched are so specific for Shopify that it's part of their appeal, I guess you could say. I'm building the right tool for the right job. 
and it might not work in one of the e other e-commerce platforms or I have to change how it works to make it make more sense to users of another e-commerce platform. I'd have to make it more generic in a sense instead of adding features that work really well with the way Shopify works. And I think that's always been like, I have an, an app called Orderly Emails, which is like a, a theme designer for email templates. Shopify has transactional emails like the order confirmation, shipping confirmation that they send out. And you need to edit code in Shopify to customize those emails. So I've built this editor, which which allows you through a sort of drag and drop uh, WYSIWYG uh, editor to design these emails and to edit them without having to touch the code. And then you purchase them for a one-time fee and it spits out the code that you then put into Shopify. So it uses Shopify's liquid language or the, it produces code in the liquid language so that Shopify still sends all the emails, but they're just now using a better design of this particular email. And it's been a, a super app and, and people love it. And if people are migrating away from Shopify, uh, which does happen from time to time, I get a lot of people coming to me saying, hey, we're moving over to this platform. Uh, how can we get your app for that platform? And just looking at how this app is built, it would never work. Like I'd have to rewrite 70% of the app for it to not be Shopify specific because it is so closely tied to the way Shopify renders their emails or has their email system working sort of thing. So I just don't see, or I haven't seen a need to do it. Maybe because Shopify has always been so good to me in a sense that my business has grown through all these years and, and it just keeps on growing and it's more than I need, I guess you could say. So I just haven't been hungry enough to go after the other e-commerce platforms. I'm sure there are apps out there that do it very successfully, and but I, I just haven't seen a need for it. Yeah, makes sense. What's your, um, what's your reason for going non-Shopify app as such uh, with your new project then? Um, <laughs> you wanted to do something different or? Yeah, so that's a little bit. I, I, I love the Shopify ecosystem. I think it's awesome. And I think they've done a lot for their developers to really help them build businesses on there. So with Translate CI, my thinking was this is something that I wanted as a Shopify developer. Um, Shopify has these multi-language app stores where you can browse it in, I think, French is their other big language, probably because they're in Quebec, I think. Uh, and it's a lot easier to get featured in that app store if your app is fully translated. And I've seen some like case studies where people have boosted their installs by a good bit. And so I'm like, oh, I should translate my app. And it was such a pain to get that done. You have to hire translators. You have to, the, the big thing is it's okay if, you're, if I'm going to do it once, but to keep it updated was so difficult. And so it just got me thinking like, this is a cool developer tool. So basically uh, it's Translate CI is continuous integration, meaning you push your code We'll pull the translations out, get them done by a human, make a pull request back to your repo. Super and, slick. You know, yeah, I, I think I, it's cool. Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and that was my thinking was just like, I, I, it's funny, like I don't necessarily want to abandon Shopify. In fact, I've been thinking about that a lot this week is positioning for Translate CI because basically the thinking the, the first group I'd like to, to target for it is Shopify app developers, because I think there's so much upside there for them uh, to internationalize their app. So yeah, I'm moving off the Shopify app store, focusing on merchants to at least for a little while, focusing on specifically on Shopify developers, which I think will be interesting. I think it'd be cool. Yeah. I think the Shopify app developer space is so big now. There's so many people involved in that community that you could really build a business around it, especially something like that. I've had that exact same problem. I have translations in the email app I was just talking about. 
the app itself isn't translated, but all of the emails it produces are translated. So for example, if a store is selling in French, then they can just click a button and it translates all the emails to French. But whenever I update the app and add a new email, Shopify launches new emails from time to time, then they all end up just using, I load them into the system, it Google translates them, and then I get them back. And that just doesn't feel the right way to do it. I got professional translations uh, the first time, but then keeping them up to date has been a real hassle. And I know that the quality falls over time. So I really like that you're going also the human um, side of it instead of just another Google Translate function. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see, I feel like in three to five years, probably Google Translate may well be very close to the quality of human translators. But for now, I think it's, it's so much better. I translated just a bunch to test these translators. I was just translating everything I could find related to need A-B testing, like the app page and things like that. And then just finding friends that spoke that language to see if it reads well, and then doing the same thing with Google Translate. And Google Translate is, is great for, for you know getting around a city or reading a menu or something like that. But when you want to speak business to someone, like it's falters. Yeah, definitely. That's why I find um, with the emails as well, specific words need to be translated very specifically in a certain context, right? Like in a shipping confirmation email. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, so how do you find these people to, to do the translations? Is that... Or maybe I'm giving away the secret sauce. <laughs> oh, that's right. No, I'm, more, I'm working with a company. So basically, they they have an API that they can expose to hire their translators through. So basically, I'm okay. Doing, nice. Yeah, doing static uh, analysis of the code to grab the translation strings and then using that to to run it through. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. But also with Google Translate, I think. It's good at some languages, but other languages, it's still quite poor. I can see that living in Denmark. And if you do, I can check all the Danish translations and they're not great. I think you'd always right. get a better result. And the hard part has always been right. Oh, now I need to find all the keys that I need to get translated. I need to send them off and everything else. I think that's a super idea. I use something else yeah. at the moment I was saying, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> when I was testing all these translations and testing some automated translation, it was funny just because there's a line in my app listing oh, yeah. that says, not a statistics expert, that's okay, or something like that. And uh, when I translated to French and then had uh, my French-speaking friend read it, they it had changed basically to the meaning was like, it's good oh, that you don't know anything about statistics. And it was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. it didn't read yeah. right. No, exactly. you, you got to keep an eye on it. And it's funny, I've been through the same... How to say uh, process? I was I started on trying to build a translations app uh, for Shopify uh, merchants. I guess about uh, maybe a year ago, Shopify released a new translations API where you could start pushing through translations. I just died on the project about six months ago, and I've tried to restart it. I'm, I'm maybe like eighty percent done, I guess you could say, and I just couldn't. I can't bring myself, no matter how many times I try and get excited about it, to actually finish that project. So now, a few weeks ago, I've finally gone, right, no, not going to do it. Put it to the side. And it's been such a, a relief, in a sense, to consciously give up on a project as well. Like, it's not often, I think that's the first time that I've really given up on something. But it was, I think it was better in the end to not release an app that I wasn't super happy with than to release something just for the sake of making some more money. I just, yeah, there's certain parts of it I just wasn't happy with how it's turned out. But I definitely understand that's, like the challenges in translations as well. It's funny, that's a difference in our backgrounds because as a developer, I'm fully used to like, I just, I 
graveyard of side projects going back years before I actually released need A-B testing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I get with... smaller like experiments, but this has been much more sitting for months and developing on this app sort of thing. And then just going, I can't go any further on this and I don't enjoy it. <laughs> but also because I think the actual like backend UI was okay, but you have to add all the, like the, the website widgets so that people could uh, change, change language and currency goes together. So you, then you need a currency picker, even though my app doesn't have anything to do with currency at the same time, because you want the styling to be about the same. Some themes have currency and language pickers built in, some don't. And it was just like all the, the peripheral stuff around it. I didn't mind the actual you know, translation interface and everything else, but getting, yeah, it was just too many things on the side where I was just like, ah, oh, I don't really want to <laughs> solve this anymore. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. That but, last uh, 20%. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I guess I've heard recently something called uh, the 1990 rule, and it's 90% of, uh, 90% of the effort will get you to 90% and the last 10% will take 90% more effort. Something <laughs> like that. I've probably butchered that, but it's basically like the last percent can be just as hard as the all of the rest of it. For sure, yeah. I'm at this weird point now with Translate CI where like, I'm so close to releasing like a basic version of it and just keeping myself from going down rabbit holes and figuring out exactly like this feature I absolutely need, this one can wait. It's, it's a whole thing trying to come up with a, up until this point, I was able to just pick whatever thing I felt like coding on that day and do it. And now I'm at a point where I really need to focus on the couple of things that have to get done. Yeah, definitely. How do you make that choice then? Like, how do you, when do you feel something is definitely needed and something might be nice to have? Like, a, you're basically working towards an MVP, but how do you make that choice? I'm not great at it right now. Usually I start coding it and I go, wait, what am I, why am I working on this? I really doesn't need to go in that version. So <laughs> essentially with the translations thing, so the, the, the pulling the translations out and putting them back in is the big part. So like really where I need to focus my time is just all the edge cases and all the weird things that you find when trying to do this. And there's yeah. a limit to that obviously too, but as far as features, like just nice things to have, for example, I have email notifications and uh, the other day I was like, oh, I should put Slack notifications into it. Like, well, no, like that can, that can hang on. So it's really just making the product as it is work as good as possible rather than adding bells and whistles at this point. I think that's a, yeah, a great way to look at it. You want the few features that you've got to be really good instead of having a bunch of features that kind of work. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's always been my launch point. I think nowadays with Shopify apps, at least, you need to launch with more than you could have in the past. Most ideas are out there in a sense. So you are competing on features now. Whereas in the early days, like if you just solve the problem, you might be the only person that does it. And so you, you just make sure those features are right. But yeah, I definitely love the what goes into an MVP and what doesn't. Yeah. And it's a fun sort of struggle to have with yourself, to slap yourself on the hand and say, nope, like you say with Slack, yeah, it's nice to have, but I don't need to wait for this. Yeah, need A-B testing was an interesting one. Like I felt like maybe I launched that a little too soon. So literally the first day it launched, uh, I got a sign up and then a one-star review immediately. That was oh, no. my first day. And yeah, and that was due to, oh, it's funny, it wasn't a bug or anything like that. It was a poor UX decision where basically the app did something they didn't realize it was going to do. 
I guess the, 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 the key is I didn't do enough user testing before I released. So to yeah. me, it made sense because I've been working with it for months. Oh, of course it's going to do this. And when this person hit it, they were shocked. And so yeah, it was right. actually like a super valuable experience was just working with this merchant to get the app to do what they thought it was supposed to do. And uh, yeah. it improved a lot. Yeah, user, I don't do enough like user testing, I guess you could say, but it's always super valuable when you see how people use your app. You always learn something where you just go, huh, I thought that was, I thought that was obvious. <laughs> yeah, especially Weird. when you're naming features and stuff like that, where a name that you probably use internally, but now it's so ingrained in your head, that that's what it does. Like it, it might not make sense to someone coming into it the first time. Yeah. And I always found, I don't know if uh, you do the same, but whenever I launch a new product, I, I, in the app store at least, I put a really clear label in the description saying in big, bold capital letters at the top sort of beta, this is a brand new app and we're looking for people to try it out. We've also got the, the pricing set at 50% for, the, for those people that do sign up for the next six months or something like that. So you make it a deal for them. But I've always found that has been really good in when launching a new app that people forgive me a little bit more, I guess you could say. You can't keep it on yeah, there forever, but, but people seem to, as long as you warn them up front that, hey, this is like brand new, you may be one of the few people that have tried it so far outside of ourselves. And yeah, I found that that's been really good and, and actually has given more reviews in the beginning, I think, because people want uh, rooting for you if it does solve their problem. So they want to show you some love as well. So yeah, it's just one of those things where I can't remember where I got the idea from, but I've done it for all of my apps from the start. And it's always been a really good, maybe I would have got the same response if I didn't do it. <laughs> I don't know. I've always done it. But it, I think it's one of those things where if you warn people up front, it can definitely have a good outcome in a sense. Yeah, that's really smart. I'm definitely easier on things that I know is, are, is closer to an MVP. So I get why people would be. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. Speaking of betas, we heard a rumor <laughs> or an, an unannounced that Shopify is putting out a, a partner API, which is cool. And just to explain to people that don't know Shopify what that is, it's all app developers and people that make themes for Shopify, we all can log into a partner dashboard as a sense. And that's where we see all our revenue numbers, we can configure our apps and so forth. And there's never been an API. So if you wanted to pull out metrics or revenue data and things like that, you had to export a CSV and then do some magic on that CSV. And we just heard this week that Shopify are launching a API for that. And it, I don't know if it was leaked as such, but somebody made an announcement that they maybe shouldn't have. And a lot of us tweeted out, <laughs> which, yeah, poor guy. But it was somebody that had worked on it. But yeah, so super excited about that. I've been building many years ago, I launched something called Partner Metrics, which is a free tool where you can import that CSV file from Shopify with all payout data, and it will give you all of these SaaS style metrics. So like uh, monthly revenue, churn rates, and things like that. And it's always been really hard. You, know, you can't just log in and look at the updated numbers. You've got to first export the data from Shopify. You need to load in the latest stuff. And, and it's always been a bit of a lag and a bit of a pain. And yeah, now that's going to be possible, which is, I know a lot of people have been waiting a long time on. It also is like, oh no, one more thing I need to do. But it'll be a fun project at some point when I have some downtime away from main business stuff. But it's been a fun project and, and it's just nice to see that Shopify also opening up for more possibilities around it. And I know Bay Metrics had an integration with, or we're trying to get an integration going with the Shopify partner stuff. Now that they are going to have a more, official API. Be nice to see what some of these like professional companies doing metrics maybe could come up with as well. 
Um, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for sure. Yeah. I use bare metrics and it's, it's funny. It's great, but you can see the limitations of what they can get from Shopify. I know cause I've run into those limitations myself. I think, yeah, I was taking a look at the partner API this morning and it just looks awesome. Like all those issues they're having are just going to be gone if they put a little work into this. Yeah, exactly. And actually partner metrics, metrics, I would have loved to have used them when I originally, I, I started building my partner metrics when, when I quit my job and was going to work on my apps full time. And I felt right, if I'm going to do this full time, I better get some good numbers to see, actually follow along and see, make sure I don't go, uh, doesn't go the wrong way here. And, and I, I was a big fan of, of Josh and partner metrics and uh, sorry, bear metrics. And they were a big inspiration and they had some great articles on how they calculate the metrics and stuff, which I used as inspiration for building partner metrics. If they do a good integration or something, then maybe I'll just go and use that and then open source <laughs> partner metrics. But yeah, it's nice to see it possible so that professional companies can do it. Yeah, it's, and I, I, I hope maybe they use it to improve the partner dashboard a little bit. Like it's good, but like just some of those, especially like churn metrics and things like that are so hard to come by. And I built my own internal dashboard for that stuff a long time ago. I think I probably used looked at the same bare metrics articles. But they're not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that everything in there is hundred percent accurate with my internal dashboard. So yeah, I would just like to yeah. see someone, I happily pay someone else to do this work for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, that's what I found as well. It's, it's super easy to, to look at those formulas, but to calculate them is a completely different, you know, single payments. And then you go roll them up into monthly and everything like that. It's, yeah, yeah it's a scary thing. And especially because we were just working on the payout data itself. Things like churn are really hard because we don't know when somebody has uninstalled the app. We only know that they're not paying us anymore. And so numbers like churn or, yeah, they were, they're actually quite hard to, to calculate 100% correctly. Um, yeah, especially since Shopify gives them grace period if they don't pay. So yeah. you can easily count as a churn when they're still actually an active user that's going to pay. Yeah, exactly. And, and Shopify has a, a 30 day a subscription cycle on apps. So generally the way we do it was, or I, uh, is you look back 30 days, who was paying 30 days ago? Are they paying today? And then if they're not paying today, they have churned, right? But the problem with that, like you say, if, if, if they get a few days grace period, their, their cycle changes. So it might be like, oh, they didn't pay today, so they, but they paid tomorrow. So the, the, and the churn is gonna see them as churn today because they should have paid because it's gone exactly 30 days. Anyway, long story short, it's uh, <laughs> it's about as accurate as we can make it with only the payout data available, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I think I'm excited for this. I hope, uh, hope to see some people take the opportunity and build some cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think I think we'll see some actual businesses pop up around it as well. I hope we do. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's tons of so. opportunity, right? Yeah, I always wonder like how many... I'm curious, and I guess I'll find out with Translate CI, but I'm, I'm curious like what the um, potential is for focusing businesses on Shopify app devs. There's about 5,000 apps in the app store. That's probably a couple thousand companies. I, I think it, it definitely sounds like an interesting opportunity. You know. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and not only uh, translations like you're doing, but the piece, I, I think there's a space for like referral programs and yeah. metrics and things like that. I think that would be, if somebody can solve like the, the referral referring Shopify apps with between each other. Like a lot of agencies will refer apps on behalf and then they'll get a kickback or something like that. And that's really hard to implement or has been really hard to implement because there was no API towards the payout data. So you couldn't 
collate who actually signed up and who paid for the app? Oh, I go through an Excel spreadsheet every month to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I did, because I'd built the importer for the partner metrics, I could build an importer that, so I built a, a partner program really for my own apps. But yeah, again, it, it that will need an update as well when the partner API comes out, but it'll just make things a lot easier so you can just export stuff. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I see we're at uh, 48 minutes for this inaugural episode. And I, I guess oh, when we were, okay. talking, we were sort of saying between 30 minutes and an hour, something like that. So I guess we're getting towards the end here. Yeah, I feel like this went pretty good for first uh, first attempt. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's gone too. And just for everyone else, we actually did a similar recording last week, but we managed to mute ourselves in our recording program. At the end of our first recording, we, we realized we had no recording. So we're, and I think it's lucky because we're a bit more relaxed this time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you tell us. Uh, we recorded this one. Yeah. And if you like the podcast, uh, give us a review so we know that we're not doing this for in vain, I guess you could say. But yeah, tune in next week. We'll get into some other topics and our thoughts behind them. It's uh, fun chatting, Jack. Yeah, you too. Uh, talk to you next yeah. week. Sounds good. Take care.